Welcome to the XY Advisor podcast. To join a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. This episode is proudly sponsored by Integrity Life. If the last few years have taught us anything, it's that life is unpredictable, which is why you need to work with a partner that's flexible and loves to collaborate, one that will personalize the claims experience for your clients, one with a balanced approach to underwriting, and one with a competitive and sustainable pricing. Integrity, your partner for life. If you want to learn more about how Integrity is your partner for life, head to integritylife.com.au forward slash xy. to the XY podcast, Gianni. Thanks, Fraser. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. You you actually are my first interview, my first guest uh, as the new host of this show. Okay, awesome. Yeah, glad to be that. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for coming along. Very good. Now, now do you want to give uh, the, the members and the listeners a quick uh, overview of yourself? Yeah, look, uh, my name is uh, Gianni Musumeci. I, uh, my history within uh, financial advice uh, started about uh, 10, 11 years ago now. I was a, a para planner with uh, one of the big four banks and I stayed in para planning for about four or five years um, before becoming a senior business analyst in para planning itself and then moving on to financial advice. So becoming a, a senior business of para, uh, sorry, senior business analyst within the financial advice head office. Uh, shortly after I joined a uh, fintech uh, providing financial advice software to licensees, dealer groups, and independent financial advisors um, before moving back to the uh, big bank uh, head office. Um, and then more recently, I've joined Aware Super as the intrafund practice and process manager. Yeah, this is really interesting. Your story is fantastic. It's, it's um, you know, starting off in a, in a very specialized area um, and then also in a corporate environment um, and, you know, helping planners create plans and going through strategy and getting really deep into the, the you know, the, you know, the strategies being, being rolled out uh, and then also following your passion along the idea of uh, the technology and how do you actually, you know, help these, uh, help people like yourself, the power planet and, and the advisors um, and, you know, be better at what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I always thought that uh, I had a great uh, grasp and understanding of the process of providing financial advice. And I really think that uh, that helped me throughout the years, both on the software vendor side and the customer side as well. Yeah, you're, you're definitely a process guy, right? That's your exactly. Uh, that's yeah. what lights you up. <laughs> it's in my title. So yeah. <laughs> and even following you on, on uh, social media, following you on uh, LinkedIn, you know, you do, you, you do a lot of um, training exercise outside of work. And uh, you're very, again, that's still a process. Yeah, I've got a sort of a side goal, um, or two side goals rather. Uh, I want to be able to do five unassisted muscle-ups. Uh, so I've been practicing that. I, I do that three times a week. And uh, I've got another goal of being selected for Australian Ninja Warrior. Yeah, fantastic. Now, what's your video that you did on the your application video? How did that go? Have you heard back from them? I know you're sort of very focused on the idea of um, of your son, uh, you know, seeing that and, and, and seeing you on the show. Yeah, I um, I haven't heard anything back from them. So if you're listening, um, I'm waiting for a reply. Uh, <laughs> um, but my son, uh, my youngest son loves to watch Australian Ninja Warrior. And I, I want to 
sort of make him believe that he can do the same thing. He sort of see these, sees these people as movie stars and it's not reality sort of thing. They're on the TV. But I want him to sort of understand that you too can can be just like these people as well and, and he should sort of reach for those goals as well. Fantastic. What's your nickname going to be? You know, like they have the tradie warrior and the, are you going to be the financial advice warrior guy? Or what's your... I was thinking about that and um, a lot of people comment on the fact that I get up early in the morning. Uh, so I like to get up early. Uh, so I was thinking about calling myself the four. 4am ninja. 4am ninja, nice. I like yeah. it. Let's get behind you. Get behind yeah. you. Fantastic. Now, um, as we go through, um, I'm still going back through your past. Um, you worked for a fintech. You were you, you really loved your technology side of it. You came to, to that position, I guess, from the um, from the uh, from a user point of view. Yeah. Um, although we sort of say, let's say, human point of view, the fact that you were using um, software in that space. Uh, and then you went back to a, um, a large corporate again. That's a huge change from large corporates to um, back to small fintech and back to corporates. Yeah. So um, I think early on in my career, I, I felt that I was a go-to person or an SME, particularly within power planning um, and the amount of software that we used um, I would always be relied upon to do things like uh, template coding within uh, software and, and uh, software testing whenever a new uh, upgrade was provided to us. Um, so I had a great grasp of firstly process, but secondly, um, how we interacted with the software at each step in the process as well. And I, like many people, I, I may have become frustrated at some of the uh, shortcomings that software provided us. So I, I wanted to solve those problems and use my experience in the in the small sort of fintech environment because uh, for me, that was where the most change or I could actually implement the most change in those sort of small fintech environments. Yeah, I, I, there's definitely a lot of frustration when it comes to um, technology and, and we we're, we're lucky in some ways where we get served up technology from, you know, let's face it, big groups, you know, whether it be the apples of the world or whatever it might be, and it works first time and it's great and it's fantastic and it's very easy. And then you try and overlay an extremely complex process of financial planning into a software yeah. and we all get frustrated. Why can't it be easy? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's always the, the saying, oh, it looks good in the demo, but <laughs> but everybody wants uh, it customized to their own processes and their own templates and artifacts as well. So uh, a lot of software has to be sort of uh, robust enough to provide us with the needs and the automation and the requirements, but nimble enough to, to be customizable and have everybody's own flavor, uh, particularly in financial advice as well. Yeah. Is that so where the, is that? It- is that where the profession has let itself down a little bit? Because I see this whole customization piece as uh, if we've got, um, you know, three two thousand flavors of the same product, it's it seems a bit crazy that we've spent all that money on creating two thousand variants of of one thing that's supposed to do one thing for, let's face it, a, a customer or an you know a person who's going to benefit the most out of it, which is the client, um, in order to you know, to benefit them, but we've got all these different versions and there's so much money spent throughout the process. And you, you've obviously worked in corporates, you know how much money goes into these things. Is it, is this a, is that a mistake we've made along the way? I don't think it's a mistake. I think what it is, is it's the environment because we all provide either the same or similar products and services um, from bank accounts to home loans to super funds. Uh, they're all the same or similar, but what differentiates one from another is the service and the manner of that service that they provide. 
So you, you need to be able to differentiate yourself. So the same uh, difference between an independent financial advisor and, and a big licensee, you know, the independent will have a much sort of stronger relationship with your one-on-one financial advisor, whereas the licensee will have the backing and the uh, rapport of a big brand and the security that they, they're able to provide. So it, although that we do provide similar products and services, uh, we still need to differentiate ourselves between uh, from person to person or group to group rather. Yeah. Now you've worked in the uh, the big end of town and and, and the small fintech. There is this, there seems to me like there's a big gap between those two you know enterprises, and I know that you know they're within good reason because um, you know fintechs need to uh, build slowly and grow organically and, and along the way. Um, and they're never going to be able to roll out of the box, you know, a completely end-to-end system. Uh, this versus, the, you know, like a larger end of town wants that security and you've been around for many years and we, you know, those sorts of things. T- talk to me about that gap. Like it, it seems like it's really wide and, and why is it so wide and how, do we, how can we solve it? Look, some of, some of the things that we could sort of look to, to do to solve is, uh, for me, it's sort of easier access to advice. Um, I feel that people are reluctant to sort of, receive advice because you know number one they they think it's too expensive number two they may think it's too convoluted um, and they're not understanding of the process of providing advice so if there was a happy medium between those two examples that you provided i think people would be less sort of reluctant to receive financial advice yeah exactly i mean you you mentioned you know cost and complexity as the two barriers and i you know obviously there's no one's going to disagree with that (laughs) listening to this they're all you know financial planning and financial advisors so they're so they understand that it's a complex and an expensive pr- product or service to deliver. Um, and so, yeah, there is certainly a, a, an interesting gap of how technology can fill or, or create um, tech efficiencies. Um, talk to me about uh, those efficiencies in tech. And I know we sort of mentioned the idea around admin and those sorts of, there's all sorts of different areas. How do you see the big efficiencies from technology being created? I think uh, some of the efficiencies that technology can provide within financial advice is reducing the amount of admin um, that's required. So uh, admin is what's known as a non-value add. Um, The customer doesn't want to pay for it, but it needs to be done. Like you need to enter the details into the system and that sort of stuff. Now, some some of the other efficiencies is reducing some of the compliance burdens that are required within financial advice. We've seen more recently the, the requirements of like an FDS or opt-in and, and tracking those as well. So that's uh, technology can assist with some of the uh, compliance requirements associated with providing advice as well. Um, but it can also provide us with valuable insights as well. Um, so some of the data and reporting that we can get from technology, um, some of the trends and tracking, and then um, some of the services that we can provide to clients on the back of that, such as um, uh, client portal access, uh, easy two-way communication, even uh, to the point of um, the wet signature and holding an interview like we are currently via Zoom. Um, all those things can be done uh, using technology now. So it's it's really all about reducing the cost reducing the burden of compliance and providing speed and efficiency to the financial advice process, which makes things cheaper, cheaper for the end customer. Yeah. Now, let's talk about the, uh, the concept of, um, uh, of the scale advice. And obviously you're with um, We're Super and uh, a, a big part of what you're doing there and, and what they're doing is the, you know, the scale advice and intrafund advice. Um, do you want to, let's talk about what your take is on intrafund advice and how that works for the, your members. 
Well, I think intrafund advice is a perfect sort of stepping stone um, for uh, you know advice members to sort of receive either general or limited advice in terms of uh, the superannuation and their insurance um, to give them an understanding of how they're tracking uh, in terms of their superannuation goals as well. Um, and it's relatively cost-effective advice. It's it's either free or very cheap. Um, and a lot of super fund members may not know that they already have access to this form of advice already. So I, I think that if more members were introduced to scaled or intrafund advice, um, that they would have a greater understanding of, of financial advice and, and their own financial situation as well. And, and we'd see a, a, a level of um, financial understanding, like a greater level of financial understanding out there in, in the environment. Yeah, it's an interesting part of um a client's needs, um, not not so much an advice process, but really a client's needs to saying, I've got an instant need or a very specific need and uh, here, is, here is something that's available to me. Uh, if they know about it, because that's the other thing too, they may not yeah. you know, know how that works or think they have to pay, um, something that's available to me that I can just use and do this one thing. Um, how is Intrafund Advice um, working with, with financial advisors providing Full financial, you know, comprehensive or more comprehensive advice, um, and and the, with the funds and advisors. Yeah. So what normally happens within Aware is uh, the Aware Super members are able to call um, our member engagement team, and what happens is they're triaged um, in terms of their advice needs as well. So when they're triaged, they they come to a decision point whether um, based on their advice needs they require intrafund comprehensive or even specialist advice. So the specialist advice being um, insurance or aged care uh, predominantly. So if after having a discussion with our uh, member engagement team, um, they come through to intrafund advice, the intrafund advice is predominantly around or it's relatively scoped around super and insurances. So some of the advice that they can provide um, is around um, salary sacrificing, ensuring that the super isn't invested appropriately, uh, providing projections to ensure that they're on track to meet their retirement goals, uh, commencing a retirement income stream or transition to retirement income stream um, within a fine scope. So it's based on um, you know, specific goals and objectives. They can't provide a- advice on a broad uh, range of goals and objectives. It's, it's very specified and scaled. Yeah. So specified to their retirement benefits or... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it doesn't encompass a, a large amount of uh, of the client's objectives. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And uh, and so when it comes to the, you know, the idea of intrafund advice being paid for by members and not necessarily by the individual, what are your thoughts on on that? Because I mean, I'm, there's 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 people on both sides of this uh, on this fence, right? Yeah, well, I think it's it's a service that's being provided. So, look, <laughs> I sort of liken it to you you pay your council rates regardless of how much rubbish you throw in the bin. So you might as well fill up the bin. <laughs> um, <laughs> it might be a silly analogy, but it's true. Like you, you pay the same water rates, the same council rates. Um, the, the service is there and it's offered. Um, so it, it's there and available for you to use. Um, so if you're looking for uh, scaled advice or general advice, um, it's more than uh, available there. And it's only going to increase your understanding of the financial advice process and your financial situation. Yeah. When you said that, um, when you said, when you gave that example, I actually thought about the, um, the ASIC charge that financial advisors pay, uh, pay every, uh, every year, you know, they're, they're paying for that ASIC to run, um, and whether they, whether they're the ones in the spotlight or, or getting edited by ASIC or not. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's probably a better example. <laughs> Fill up the bin. 
Yeah. Uh, no, very good. And so, what? So, tell us about your your role there. You know, um, regarding process uh, as the process manager, because because you're not directly looking after financial uh, the financial advisors themselves. No, I don't have any direct reports. So uh, nobody reports to me directly. I'm, I manage predominantly the the process of providing financial advice. So uh, I ensure that the process is efficient, um, that it's compliant, um, and then. I'm always looking to continually improve the process as well. So uh, by continually improving the process, I, I look to remove any inefficiencies or wastes or non-value add. Um, and then I always look for opportunities to do better. So we can always look to uh, reduce the turnaround time associated with providing financial advice and reducing the touch time associated with providing financial advice so that our members get uh, more advice at a quicker pace. Yeah. So tell us about how you do that. You obviously have to start with the the advisors and the process and the and the, the client or member engagements, and then work your way back. Yeah. So what I do is, especially when I'm new to a business, is I map the process and understand the process as best I can, um, and then I sort of understand each step. How long does it take? What is the wait time between each step in the process? And is that step a value-add, non-value-add, or business value-add step in the process? So uh, value-add is something that the customer is willing to pay for. Non-value-add is the example I gave before. It's administration that the customer isn't willing to pay for. And then business value-add is something that's just sort of required due to legislation or business policy. So it's something that we have to do. Now, even though something might be a step in the process, maybe business value-add, that doesn't mean we we can't make things a little bit easier or, or quicker in terms of the amount of time that we spend doing that business value add step. So th- there's no such thing as perfection and we're always looking to sort of reinvent or enhance the process as well. And then there's always the odd curveball that the financial advice system throws at us every every 12 months or so. Yeah, so how much of your role is just like like fixing the existing process versus coming at it from a, from that higher level and going, well, actually, you know, this whole process is ridiculous. Let's let's try something new. Yeah, so where wherever I've sort of worked, I've always tried to embed a continuous improvement process where um, not only myself but team members can come up with suggestions um, to ensure that uh, either problems or opportunities are addressed. So a, a problem may not be large, Okay, it may be sort of be insignificant in terms of its impact, but it could be frequently occurring. Now, if you put a, a measure on that over the course of a year, that that could be significant. So, if we solve this small process that was frequently occurring, we might have a significant benefit on our hands. Um, in addition, if we look to reduce the overall cost of providing end-to-end advice as well, if we reduce that by a few dollars, we create further capacity, and we we're able to provide more cost-effective advice at a quicker turnaround around time so it not only benefits the end client but it, it benefits the business as well yeah so you're doing a lot of measuring as you're going along and making just just defining and working out what these efficiencies are yeah exactly so a lot of touch time turnaround time wait time analysis um, a lot of waste analysis sort of understanding where defects occur uh, where we can prevent defects how we can stop risks from occurring yeah that sort of stuff very good. Now, um, you and I have spoken before about the idea around, um, you know, the behavioural side of this as well, because to me, there's two sides of it. There's this process efficiencies where you go, well, technically, we can do these things. Yeah. But then as human beings, we don't always behave that way. Yeah, exactly. Um, some things uh, sort of occur 
as a result of our behaviors. So look, I gave an example where um, I'm doing some behavioral bias study at the moment. So I gave an example where, you know, a member might walk in and they have a specific requirement. So um, where, you know, I, I want to buy property through an SMSF or I, I want to, can you tell me how much I need to salary sacrifice without sort of understanding the reason behind that? Um, so, and that's where I think, uh, you know, financial advice comes in, not only because, you know, they, they need to address the members' concerns, but they need to understand why they're asking these sort of questions. So, oh, you know, why are you asking about, um, you know, buying property through an SMSF or salary sacrificing? And they may say, oh, yeah, look, um, I spoke to a friend of mine at a barbecue who did the same thing. Um, and then they've sort of developed this behavioral bias around, oh, my friend's making money doing this. I need to do the same thing. And then, you know, they jump online and they look through social media and they see, you know, because they've Googled it, all their, <laughs> all their um, cookies bring up all these other ads and articles for, you know, make it easy to buy property through an SMSF. And they've developed an overconfidence bias now because they've Googled it. They think they're experts now. So they want you to facilitate what they think they're an expert at. Um, and so over the course of what might be a week, they've developed all these sort of behavioral and overconfidence biases that um, necessarily don't make them any more competent, um, but give them the self-belief that they know what they're doing. Yes, yeah, so I, I know that's exactly the case where you do, you get a little bit of information on something and all of a sudden you're the expert. And then the more yeah. you learn, the more you realize that you don't, you're not the expert and, uh, yeah. and you start, um, you start uh, toning down a little bit. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta get over that excitement period, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's always the sort of honeymoon period when you get a bright idea. Oh, yeah, I know exactly what to do. Yeah, I'll walk down to the bank and I'll do it myself sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the behavioural bias stuff's really interesting and the behavioural stuff. What, what, what else are you doing in that space around, you know, behavioural finance and those sorts of things? Yeah, so um, some of the interactions I've had with sort of uh, advice compliance are around sort of understanding the need um, that the client has especially um so particularly with things like the best interest duty and safe harbor steps we sort of under, need to understand well what is the reason for the client asking this particular question even though that that might have uh, a, a goal of of uh, implementing that particular strategy they have objectives behind that um so for example they they want to be comfortable in retirement they want to generate a, an income and they feel that that particular strategy is the best way of doing so but based on their competence um, and their, uh, the amount of time that they have, um, it might not be the best fit for them as well. So not everybody has the amount of time and competence to manage a self-managed super fund and buy property. Um, they're, they're more than likely there's better alternatives for them to be able to reach their objectives. Yeah, it's interesting the way that we make decision, decisions, isn't it? It's sort of like, um, I, you know, I would say this, our emotional brain makes the decision generally, um, and we push the, uh, well, you know, generally people push the uh, push the you know the, the the financial side of it out of the way and make an emotional decision, or they push the rational side out of the way uh, and they make emotional decisions. And um, you know, it's 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 interesting. I, it brings me back to the article that I read that you uh, you've recently written on on a mortgage, for example. Do you want to yep. chat about that? Yeah. So um, 
particularly in the area I live in, um, I, I think the, the median price range, particularly in my suburb, is around $2 million. I, I know in Sydney it's a lot less than that. It's about 800000 And uh, I'm just not a big fan of, look, I'm in my mid-30s, and, and my wife and I were sort of talking about, look, if we had to buy our forever home now, we'd need to borrow at least a $1 million. And I sort of did the math. I thought it would take me 25, 30 years for me to pay that off. So, okay, in 25 years' time, how old is, am I going to be? I'm going to be at least 60. So I've got however long between the age of 60 and my retirement date to accumulate enough money for my eventual retirement. Uh, I know that's not going to happen just with my super guarantee contributions as well. So why don't I start building a passive income now? Or why don't I start um, sort of, you know, investing uh, more, you know, thinking about where I put my money rather than putting into a home? Um, because even then, um, you know, you see these ads on TV, especially for things like the equity unlock and reverse mortgages as well. Uh, you spend 25, 30 years paying off a, an overpriced house in an area where you want to live, but it might not be a particularly sound investment, only to hand it back to the bank that you've took it off, taken it off. Um, and then often it's at a reduced rate. So they're not going to give you the full price of your home. It's going to be 50, 60, 70%. Um, and then in the event of your death, the, the deeds are theirs. They they sell it and recoup the losses in, in the hope that they've made some money. Yes. And we talked about the word mortgage. Uh, yeah. Tell us about the history of that word. <laughs> so I learned the word is mortgage is a combination of two French words, uh, meaning an engagement until death. And probably 40, 50 years ago, that would have been the case where a 25, 30 year loan would have taken you up to your um, uh, your expected lifetime uh, expectancy of mid-60s, in the 40s and 50s, that's how long you were expected to live for. So that probably would have been of the case at that at that period. Yeah, now this certainly made my eyes um, fall out of my head, the engagement till death. And I'd never heard that before, but, I, but now that I've uh, heard it, I sort of can't unhear it. Um, <laughs> and I can just imagine, uh, you know, advisors out there talking to their clients about their engagement until death. Yeah, yeah. Um, I probably wouldn't lead with that. It's a little bit. <laughs> it's a little bit depressing. But um, I, I just think that uh, financial advice needs to be more, uh, firstly, goals based. So, um, you know, what are your objectives? Like, your objective isn't to start a uh, SMSF via direct property. It's to retire with a comfortable income. Mm-hmm. Uh, to pay for your child's education, to ensure that you live a comfortable lifestyle, maybe go on a holiday every two or three years. Um, so they're your actual objectives that you need to work towards. Um, and I think a financial advisor is the best place to sort of understand your needs and wants um, and then provide, uh, you know, number one, uh, the appropriate guidance, but number two, some perspective in terms of how likely are you to achieve those and how can you best prioritise those. Yeah, so the, the you know I agree the financial advisor is the is the best decision making tool somebody could could use, uh, and absolutely you're right because you know that, that 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 to be able to take that emotion and say yes you're that's that's awesome you've got that and here is the best way for you to achieve your goals financially. Um, now, how do you want to you know go about it and, and allow people to be able to have that decision making process using their advisor? Couldn't agree more. So how does that, I mean, if I I go back to um, the intra-fund advice being the stepping stone, um, does your fund, how how should funds be working with financial advisors in the independent space to, to, to help clients in that overall aspect? And how can advisors work with the intra fund or the intra fund advice to be able to, to help them provide some of the advice to their client? 
Yeah, well, what normally happens within Aware Super is uh, when a super member is um, with an intrafund advisor um, and they sort of discover that they have greater needs that are beyond the scope of scaled advice, then they're referred to one of our comprehensive advisors that can um, sort of provide them with advice beyond the scope of uh, an intrafund advisor. And, and that's when it gets into your goal-based advice objectives and, and they have a much greater range, if not a more complete and holistic view of a client's financial situation and can provide them advice on the broad broad spe- spectrum rather um, of advice. So I, that's where I, I think it needs to lead. It needs to be a stepping stone into advice and facilitate that um, understanding of what financial advice is and what they should expect out of financial advice yeah, for me, it's 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 ease of access in terms of uh, receiving financial advice for all Australians. Yeah, fantastic. Now, tell me about power planning because I've I've always thought that power planning was um, on a pathway to split between um, document creation, you know, editing functionality uh, and strategy, and the, and you know, you know, calculating financial strategies and helping. Um, so, to me, there's the admin part of it, and there is the planning part of it, which is super super important. How do you see the the future of power planning evolving? Uh, yeah, look, uh, I think um, when I first joined a, a, a fintech company, um, the CEO at the time famously sort of told me that his role was to make power planners redundant. And ever since I heard that, I think it more and more the opposite is the case, if anything. Um, as, as an example, when I was a power planner, um, I used to average complete uh, one to two SOAs per day. Now, as a financial advisor, typically you do maybe two or three per week. Um, you'd actually present uh, to your clients. Um, look, in, in terms of power planning, in terms of completing a statement of advice document and understanding the strategies, power plans have a much broader um, breadth because they do a much greater volume of, of statement of advice documents. So they have a much greater understanding of um, the actual strategy itself because they've just seen more. And then number two, they're quicker at producing statement of advice documents because they do them day in, day out. There's a production rhythm associated with completing a statement of advice document. Now, I think as well that power planners um, are even more essential because they reduce some of the admin time that advisors are required. So if I was an advisor and I was uh, required to complete my own statement of advice document, it would remove the available time that I had to actually see clients which is where an advisor needs to be. It needs to be in that client-facing time to sort of explain and educate their members on what the advice strategy is. So that's where the power planners can really facilitate and be of use to financial advice. They can remove some of the admin time and do it at a much quicker turnaround time as well. Um, coming from a big bank as well, power planners were always seen as the first line of defense. So they were sort of the first to receive the, the file um, and sort of point out if there were any gaps or inefficiencies in their advice as well. And in some cases, even propose a better strategy to the financial advisor. So it's only to the benefit of the member for me um, sending a, a statement of advice request to a power planner. So do you see um, power planning as the um, almost the first line of defense or the first line of compliance? Yeah, exactly. Um, even uh, in my time as a senior power planner, what what our function was, was to vet the advice prior to turning into a statement of advice document. So it was almost like a pre-audit. So based on the file, you were almost auditing the advice prior to being presented to the client, uh, which again is part of the first line of defense. Yeah, this is the, um, you know, the quality financial advice part of it, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and the uh, the advisor becomes the you know the the relationship 
person getting, you know, the all, all of the other moving parts to it, you know, whether it's some coaching, some presenting, some understanding, some, you know, consent, you know, all these other parts of the of the process that need to take place. Yeah, and you're always a little bit biased because it's your own advice as an advisor and you always think, yep, it's hunky-dory. Again, you've got that sort of behavioural bias that, yeah, I know what I'm doing, I'm overconfident. Um, but if you get a second set of eyes to sort of look at it, um, then they can sort of point out some of the gaps or inefficiencies in your advice. Yeah, behavioural bias is such a big part of this, isn't it? It's like every time, you know, we, we can all get better or do things in a better way, but yeah. criticism sometimes hurts and it's like hard to take and all these other things. Yeah. It's about, uh, I guess, that becomes, especially if you're, um, you know, if, you, if you're competitive type, you know, in, in nature, then it's always very hard to take that criticism versus, you yeah. know. I won't lie, it, it, there may have been one or two advisors that may have been a little bit defensive about their advice, and I completely understand as well, but uh, it's just the nature of the, the process at the end of the day. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Now, t- t- talk to me, let's go back to technology. Um, obviously, technology is evolving at a fairly fast rate. We've got all sorts of things coming in. We've got some, you know, robo-tools that sort of, you know, started off and then sort of didn't really go too far. And, um, and then there's, but there's still more of a future there and there's more of a future in, um, you know, artificial intelligence as that develops as well. What are your thoughts on technology and how it's going to shape the, uh, the profession? Yeah, so some of the ways that technology may impact us in in financial advice in the future is, you know, we've talked about robo-advice, so um, members being able to plug in their details into a a wizard of some sorts, um, and then uh, the robo-advice would spit out a recommendation, uh, essentially is what robo-advice is in a nutshell. Um, There's also self-directed investment, but that has its own perils as well. So that's a lot along the lines of the example I provided before, you know, a member wants to salary sacrifice so they look i want a salary sacrifice into my um super so the self-directed investment tool will facilitate that transaction for them without sort of receiving any advice yeah um so so just on that just while we're there it i i kind of felt like it started at the transactional end like there was a couple of quick questions and then bang into into the into the implementation part of the process if we look back the other direction towards, you know, like education and, and information and, and financial confidence and all these other things, do you think there's a there's a fair way that robo advice can go back in that process and sort of start with, you know, helping helping consumers understand concepts, strategies be, well before the implementation? But I guess it started with implementation because that's where the money is. Yeah, I guess so. Um, look, I think robo advice still definitely has a place because. You can start with the goals first as well, and and we can see goals placed into categories as well. So you've got your retirement goals, um, you've got your insurance goals, investment goals, and they can be bucketed into those sort of categories. Um, and then after that, you can have your sort of uh, set investment strategies based on some predetermined um, uh, goals or objectives. Um, anything outside those sort of parameters for me, it still requires uh, you know the 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 eyes of an advisor. Um, so I think that robo advice again can provide sort of relatively cheap and easy access to advice, and it can educate members as to what sort of strategies correlate to which um, goals and objectives, and even provide education in the in the um, form of uh, knowledge libraries and forums, um, material, uh, even websites and pages and blogs and that sort of stuff as well to keep everybody up to date. Um, but I, I still definitely think the future of of advice. Um, has an advisor-centred approach, but just with these um, other forms of advice around the advisor supporting them. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, and I think we've used the phrase before that it's not um, 
it's not necessarily technology that's going to take the jobs. It's um, other advisors using technology that are going to replace those that aren't. Yeah, I think if anything, advisors need to leverage these new tools that are coming out to, to sort of strengthen their, their brand. Yeah, there's, there is certainly, there's a lot of things advisors are, you know, doing and need to do and from legislation and change point of view. So it's always very difficult to juggle, you know, where and when you, you do and don't do things. And there's always going to be a new shiny technology coming up too, which is, you know, keeps us all excited. Yeah. Um, so technology is ever evolving to the point of, um, you know, AI introducing uh, social media scraping to understand, you know, when there's a change in your um in your lifestyle or your situation, um, you know, whether there's a new addition or change in your relationship or a change in your circumstances, um, you know, AI will be able to predict and highlight when a, um, a need needs to be addressed by the financial advisor and sort of flags that your profile might need to come up for a review. Um, so there's all sorts of things uh, AI can do to facilitate, even to the point where um, it sort of reads through your interactions with the advisor through speech-to-text software and sort of understand whether an interaction was positive or negative in nature or uh, whether the member sort of understood uh, the message that was being conveyed. Um, so there's some sort of crazy uh, AI concepts that are being developed in the in the probably not-too-distant future. Yeah, there certainly is. The artificial intelligence space is, uh, you know, it's kind of like a whole lot of jigsaw puzzle pieces at the moment there's a whole lot of interesting little things that can happen um and it's a matter of you know putting that jigsaw puzzle together and then working out how it could work for a member do you know you mentioned um social media scraping um it's obviously fairly um you know prevalent when 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 you're a social media company and, and understanding with algorithms and what ads to put in front of people uh do you see that evolving to the point where um that will become, you know, the, maybe the, the the business model of these these uh, tech companies would be, well, let's actually sell this information of our client to somebody, not just from an advertising point of view, but something like their super fund and their their bank and their behavioural stuff. Yeah, look, I hope not. And it really depends on the privacy laws as well associated with that sort of stuff. But in all seriousness, like there's tools out there today that allow uh, screen scraping through API integration. And there's a lot of projects uh, around unstructured data, um, even to the point of where uh, they are scanning paper-based documents and turning unstructured data into um, structured data as well. Um, so I, I think technology is ever-evolving and I'm really not too sure of what's going to happen, even if I do have some reservations about people's privacy and that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah now, you mentioned structured data, which is really important because, I mean, so many uh, filing cabinets um, – you know, in the old days, filing cabinets, but also, um, you know, just files that people have on their clients for financial advisors have, you know, they've collected all this data, but it's not structured in a way. How do you see the structuring of that data becoming really important for financial planners? Yeah, so the, the structure of that data needs to be, it, it needs to be sort of efficient enough for, for people to sort of understand because, again, the, the requirements of an audit or maintaining compliance can be sort of, um, difficult and costly. So if, if you have sort of structured and efficient documents and notes, that'll reduce a lot of the burden around audit and compliance, particularly for financial advisors, but also dealer groups and licensees as well. And it, it'll just, you know, when ASIC comes knocking on the door, it'll just make things all the more easier. Um, there's even uh, projects and consultants around where they do automated file scanning 
um, and they turn unstructured data into sort of structured data through categorizing and understanding a document based on its image um, and what it says on that piece of paper as well. So uh, the collection of that unstructured data has been um, a real sort of uh, opportunity, particularly for a number of consultancy firms and and how they collect that information from uh, practices that, like you said, have these filing cabinets lying around the offices. Yeah, there's certainly so many different exciting parts of technology that can come. And I think um, there's still so many things that are um, beginning to be solved, but are still a long way from being solved. And I guess it's, it's kind of a waiting game in many ways. Yeah, um, I think as, as technology evolves, we're, we're going to be finding, you know, opportunities to do better um, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to grow exponentially as well. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of scared at the sort of pace at which things are evolving. Yeah, interesting. It's, it's going to be interesting for the, your kids as they grow up to see the difference, but uh, yeah. see how we go. So tell, tell us what else you're working on in the future with regard to um, with your work and, and where you see that going. Uh, yeah, so I mentioned that um, I'm looking to implement a continuous improvement process, and I feel that's something that every business, let alone financial advice uh, practice or office, needs to implement. As the Interfund Practice and Process Manager, I don't day in, day out provide advice, um, so I need to rely on my stakeholders and team members to not only highlight the problems that occur, but to highlight the opportunities to do better and, uh, you know, make it easier to facilitate the process of providing advice, um, as well as ensure that there are no risks within the process. So that's predominantly my approach, whether that those opportunities or problems rely on a, a technology solution, or um, they rely on even a low tech solution, that's uh, needs to be seen to we need to sort of address the problem or opportunity first before we head down that path. Yeah, fantastic. As you said, continual improvement. Means uh, means continually things that you have to do and, and and problems you've got to solve. So that's that's yeah. Good. I'm a big fan of uh, the phrase that there's no such thing as perfect, but we can still sort of always strive to be perfect, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now you're also a big uh, advocate. I see you on uh, on LinkedIn all the time. Um, if people wanted to continue a conversation and and, and carry on um, some ideas or throw some ideas at you, what's the best way to get hold of you? Yeah, look, I'm more than happy to, for people to get in touch with me on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, just uh, shoot me a DM and I'm more than happy to answer any questions or have a chat. Fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for coming and sharing your story. Appreciate it. Thanks, Fraser, for having me. Appreciate the time. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of the XY Advisor podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure bringing that to you. Uh, my name is Fraser Jack and I am here with Emily Blanche today to give a, a couple of quick shout outs. Thanks, Fraser. want to give a quick shout out to the XY Advisors who have joined the Video Creation Masterclass. It's a three-month deep dive and these advisors have just kicked off week one. They are going to be leveling up their video skills over the next three months and I can't wait to see their progress. So I'll absolutely check in. So well done, guys. Can't wait to see how it goes. And you can find that over at the the app, the platform. If you look up under the courses section, you'll be able to jump on that. And just remember that if you're an XY Plus member, you can get a bit of a discount to that. Fantastic. We'll see you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.